for checking out the Renew Life Church podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that today's message encourages you. Awesome. How you guys doing? Thank you. Can I get one of those bottles of water over there? Um, people are always asking me like beforehand, what, what's going to happen tonight? As if I know. I was like, well, let me tell you exactly. I have no idea. <laughs> and I think that's a place where the Lord wants us. I think so many times. I mean, you got to realize, you start looking through Scripture. And uh, we were talking about this last night at dinner, how that, you know, there's so many times Jesus tells the disciples to do something, and they have no idea the outcome of what he's telling them to do. He didn't say, if you do this, this, and this, and this, this will happen. I mean, if you take a look at the, at the turning water into wine, there's no indication that it becomes wine until the master of the feast drinks it. So can you imagine being those servants <laughs> filling up dirty pitchers because there were, were cleansing pots, so there would have been dirt in them. He doesn't say empty them out, wash them out, fill them back up. He says, no, top them off. And then he says, then dip out of that and go give it to the master of the feast. At one point, at what point does all of a sudden it become wine? Can you imagine them going, oh, dear God, I'm going to be fired over this one. I will lose my job. And so many times we don't know the outcome. The Lord just says, do it. You know, just go for it. And I think in that place of not knowing is one of the most powerful places to be. Because then you're just completely reliant. You know what I mean? You're just in that place of complete reliance. So anyway... I have no idea, but let's, let's go there, wherever that place is. Uh, let me just share with you a couple of quick things. I did a, I did a teaching. When I went to plant my church, the, the group I was planting with was called The Vineyard, and uh, they asked me to write a paper on the kingdom of God, explaining what the kingdom of God was. And so I had to write one paper on what that is. What is the kingdom of God? Now, I'd grown up in church my entire life, but as I began to write that paper, I had no idea what the kingdom of God was. And yet, just a few years ago, we moved, and I found that original paper. And man, guys, when I read it, I wept. I mean, I wept as I read that paper. It was the biggest piece of crap <laughs> that I have ever written in my entire life. I mean, human beings should never read that paper with the expectation of conclusion of what the kingdom of God is. I did a series called The Kingdom of God. None of that paper made it into this. I have spared you <laughs> of all of that. No, but this is an eight-part series of explaining. Everything that we're seeing when you're seeing signs and wonders, when you're seeing, that is evidence of the kingdom. Jesus is saying, that's how you know the kingdom has come among you. And so you're, the kingdom is, is come. The evidence of the kingdom is come through those things. That is saying the rule and reign of God is present. Because when God begins to move, signs and wonders, miracles begin to happen. And that's evidence of his presence. But this is an eight-part series talking about that. It's an audio uh, series. And then I, I did a, a four-part uh, series um, in Lexington, Kentucky at this United Methodist Church. I was so nervous I was going to bump into something gold and break it. On the platform, there was like, it was full of all this stuff. And I was like, dear God, I'm going to break something I know and not be able to pay for it. Um, 
But I did this uh, conference on going deeper, and it's talking about going deeper in prayer, in presence, in passion, and in power, and understanding, pursuing going deeper in those things. Let me, let me explain something really important. Power without the presence is witchcraft. I don't care if it's in a church. If there's power and there's no presence, you have witchcraft. Because anything that is absence of the presence, if there's power that is there, it's the other side. The evidence of the, pres- the, evidence of the presence is the power of God being demonstrated. And so this gets into understanding the difference of that. So we never pursue power because pursuing power without the presence is a dangerous place to live and be. So we don't just chase power. It always comes down to the root part of being, uh, you know, in pursuit of the presence. Does that make sense? And so it's really important. But anyway, this, this gets into a lot of teaching on that. I won't, I won't preach that now. But um, going, uh, undoing unbelief is a teaching that I did uh, talking about how to, and, and it's something really Braden was just talking about, with how to understand how much of unbelief that has been instilled of us, so much of unbelief that you and I have today has actually been taught to us by the church. And it's sad that that's the case. But unbelief is not something that we just decide to believe. It's something that has to be almost like undone in us. It has to be sort of dismantled. Because all of a sudden we start living a culture of unbelief. Thinking it's righteous. And actually it's not. It's actually something that's very unrighteous. And it works something of death inside of us. A spirit of death and a spirit of religion are the same spirit. I mean, if you have a spirit of religion, you've got a spirit of death. And that's what, that's what is there. But anyway, this, this talks about how to undo that. And then we have these jump drives that have all the video teachings at the table back there. And then the black drives are all the audio teachings that are back there. And this ends up being about a third of the cost. Uh, so it's a, a little bit cheaper. All the profit of that goes to help me with missions and stuff like that. So Amber, would you mind coming and just taking this? Um, so just to give a little plug of some of those. Thank you, ma'am. Give you a little plug of some of those materials. Um, Dean is uh, starting a course called The Walk. Is that right? And there's sign up for it out there. Um, I, I just, how many of you appreciate Dean? He's a great man. He and Kendi are just, and, and, and he's only great because he married greater. Uh, I so love these guys, love their heart, love the father heart that's in them. It's just so amazing. And I would, t- I would really encourage you uh, to get involved in these classes. These things are going to activate and unlock. You know, when a guy like me kind of blows into town, I've only got a couple of shots at you. I can't give you everything. That's one of the reasons why we have those resources, because I was like, I can't unpack everything for you. I've only got a couple of shots at you, and then I've got to go someplace else, you know? And so um, it's always great when you've got, you know, a church that's tried to build and equip, you know, beyond that and sort of get into some of those things beyond that. So anyway, I would encourage you to uh, sign up for that, and and they've got that back there. Uh, You're going to learn a lot. You're going to get activated in a lot. It's going to be really good. All right? If you got your Bibles, you can turn to Exodus 33. If you don't have your Bible, you can look at your device. Just don't look at your device and do social media, trying to make everybody think you're looking at the Bible on your device. Um, I want to talk to you about being people of the presence and the significance of that. Before we actually, before we get into that, I got a video I just want to show you. 
Um, and this is important because uh, I, I was, uh, Dean and Kendi were actually with us. Uh, I was down in uh, Kingsville, Texas. I was, I was invited to go to a Southern Baptist church down there. And this little Southern Baptist church, they had maybe 75 people, was it, or something like that? Not very many people. And I mean, and they had like, like they're writing, they're like, we know you're going to say no. We know, you know, we don't have enough people. We don't have enough money. And I was like, to come to a Southern Baptist church, I will pay you (laughs) to let me come there. (laughs) How much are you charging me (laughs) to let me come? And uh, it was a great meeting. Dean got up and shared and just blew him out of the water. I mean, it really was really a powerful set of meetings. But at this one particular night, actually, I think it was that night that you got up and shared, we had this, this young woman who came there, and she got up. She was a, a, a Hindu girl who had come basically because her, her Christian friends were telling her, that you're gonna, if you'll come, you'll encounter God's presence. And she was like, you know, they were, they, but they kept telling her, Jesus is the only way. You got to give up all your other idols. You got to give up all your other stuff. Jesus is the only way. And so she came sort of in a protest to prove them wrong and to demonstrate how in error they were. And so, um, well, I'll just, we'll just show you what happened, or at least her telling what happened. Go ahead and Hey, guys, so I have my friend Sanjanya here, and she has an amazing story tonight. Tonight, we saw the power of the Holy Spirit fall here at University Baptist Church. And Sanjanya, tell us what happened to you. I'm Sanjanya, as Robbie is telling. And I was an idol worshiper before, but now, today, I felt the presence of Jesus. And when my friends was asking me to pray only Jesus, I was like, no, please don't tell me that. Because there's a spirit and only one spirit. And we people have given so many names to that spirit. And we call it as Jesus, that, this and all. But now I say and I declare there's only one God that is Jesus. There is only one God. And I'll never take my word back. I'll follow Jesus a lot. I'll follow Jesus in future. Thank you, Lord. And what happened to you? What happened to you tonight? Actually... I came, I came to the University Baptist Church today in the evening, and I was like, I was n- not having any single reason to cry, and my peop- my friends were telling that if you felt the presence of God, you'll start crying. I was like, no, what they're telling, please. And now today, when he was, Robbie was praying, and I felt the presence of God, and I was awestruck. What is do- what is happening in me? I was like. God, what is this? I was like, so all my legs were, legs, my uh, my legs were become so stiff, and I could not able to walk. And I was like, what? What is this happening? And then I I I I started walking, and I don't know when I started crying, and I surrendered myself to Jesus without knowing. Seriously, I felt Jesus. And now she's given her life to Jesus. No more worshiping idols, right? No, no, no never, other gods, right? Never. All right. Never. We realize now that Jesus is the way, yes. the truth, and, and I the life. And I thank you so much for that. You revealed God to me. Praise thank the you Lord. So much. Praise the so Lord. Much. This is where a Hindu becomes a passionate follower of Jesus. Awesome. Yes. Praise God. Yes. All right, guys, go do the same. <laughs> I love it because she's so Indian. It's so awesome. I love it. Oh, man. It was so funny because I saw when she said it, we invited the Holy Spirit to come in the room, which, you know, when you do that, the Holy Spirit's already in the room. You're just saying, take us deeper. We're not satisfied where we are. We want to go in deeper, you know? 
And as soon as I said that, all of a sudden I see her, her head kind of do like this a little bit. And, and I could see, I, I, I could just sense that she wasn't a believer. And then all of a sudden she just, bam, goes back and hits the floor. And I was, and I mean, nobody caught her. I mean, these Baptist people are like, whoa, <laughs> you know, what is that? <laughs> and she didn't even feel hitting the floor. I mean, this was not layback on purpose, as Braden was sharing. There was none of that. It was just bam. And they're just like, wow, hmm, not interesting. Um, But it was so powerful. I wanted to show you that because when we step out, as we go, I want you to expect people to sense something different on you. If we are carriers of the presence of Almighty God, If he lives in us and resides in us, then we can go places and people can feel that on us. I've had people sit down beside. I don't like telling these stories publicly because when I tell these stories, people start comparing themselves to this and then then they're like, oh, I'm not that, so I can't do that. But but I want to stretch you a little beyond in some things. I have had people come and just sit beside me on a bench not a word exchanged between us, and them get completely healed. Because you are a carrier of the presence of Almighty God. You're a carrier. But here's the thing. If we pursue that, rather than starting with praying for people, you'll never get there. That only comes as you do the laying on of hands and the actively playing and the public. Then then all that other stuff starts to come. Because the Lord knows you'll follow through with what he said versus just expecting him to do it and you having. This is why praying from a distance, you can do this if you want. Go ahead and do it, but watch the results. Where praying from a distance, oh, I see that woman with, you know, uh, in a wheelchair over there. Lord, would you just heal that woman 50 feet over? Would you just send your power and heal her right now? Calculate and see how many people you see get out of wheelchairs doing that versus actually going over and laying hands on them. I'm just telling you now, there's something about the as you go, as you respond, as you step out in a place of obedience, as you step out. And then when that happens, then other stuff begins to happen. Now, with that comes the bizarre. You know, it used to be when we were pastoring in Chicago, people in our church never wanted to ride public transportation with me (laughs) because people would manifest demons, you know, especially in Chicago. There's a lot of them. (laughs) They're just everywhere, (laughs) you know. People would be like, oh, don't ride with Robbie on public transit because people are, you know, I could tell you crazy, funny stories about it. But it was just that that would get get away from our point. But you're carrying the presence of God. You got to realize when the spirit of God comes and the enemy senses that there, he's going to revolt. He's going to fight it. Why? Because it's a threat. It's a threat to him. And don't be afraid of that. See that as affirmation as to what you carry. And what's on your life. Be affirmed by that. I love how Bill Johnson says, if, if, if you're not experiencing spiritual warfare, something's wrong. You know, because when you're going through spiritual warfare, it says there's something that's, 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 that's resisting. And the enemy should be afraid. We just got sick and tired of waiting for it to hit us and praying against it and going into a defensive position that we moved it to an offensive position. So every time there was a murder in our city, we would go to that. I think I shared this last time. I don't remember. But every time there was a murder in our city, we'd go to the place where they killed somebody, and we'd, we'd lead three people to Christ. 
And we would tell the enemy, because that's, that's how the gangs operated. You touch one of us, we touch three of yours. You kill one of us, we kill three of yours. So we're like, you, t- you, you take one life, we're coming after three. And we're telling the enemy it's going to be too expensive for you to take people out in this city. Because this city now belongs to Jesus. It's not your town anymore. It now belongs to Jesus. And we're, we want to see that happen, guys. You can stay away in the prayer closet and, and hide away in that. But move to an offensive position. Move to it. This church is called to be an offensive team. You're called to be, you're t- called to be that taking ground team. Now, I want to take a look at a life of somebody. That's just the introduction, okay? I want to take a look at a life of somebody who, who demonstrates this. Um, in Exodus 33, and this is so significant because if you look at the life of Moses, life of Moses is extremely powerful. And, and, and just, just in his birth, take a look at this. If you were going to spare somebody from being murdered, if you were going to save somebody from being murdered, where would you put them in proximity to the person trying to kill them? As far away as possible. It's not a trick question. <laughs> right? As far away as possible. God puts Moses in the very home of the dude who's trying to kill him. <laughs> to protect him. To raise him. To feed him. To pay for his education, the finest education in all of Egypt, the most powerful nation on the earth at that time. That's how God protects Moses and provides for Moses. I don't know about you, but I would have never thought of that. Yeah, let's just put him right in the house of the very guy who's trying to kill him, to protect him and to provide for him. But that's the genius of God, because why? His, his ways are higher than our ways. You know, we got to be careful when we go to God with instructions of how he needs to do stuff. It'd be far better just go, Lord, th- this is the need, and we just give it to you. And, and tell, us, tell us your plan of, of meeting, you know, providing the solution for it. Because otherwise, we're giving him instructions, the smartest being that has ever lived, you know, of how he needs to provide for us. You know what I mean? And so all of a sudden, Moses, and you know the story. I'm not going to go into all of it, but I'm going to do that mainly because of time. But here Moses puts his hand. He knows that he, he's had word that he's going to be this redemptive person for the people, for his people that are now in captivity. And so he tries to put his hand, he puts his hand to that thing that God has called him to, to be the liberator, and he goes and he kills an Egyptian who's, who's trying to kill a Jewish slave or beating a Jewish slave, and it ends him up, it ends up not accomplishing what he thought it would accomplish, he ends up on the backside of the desert. You know, when he tries to put his hand to it. Now, Moses had concluded, I am disqualified. Because I did something out of turn or I did something out of sequence. Moses is like, I, I've, been a, I, I've been abolished. This looks like utter, total failure. And he ends up on the backside of the desert watching sheep. Have any of you ever watched sheep? There's no more boring job on the entire planet. In the war- I've been in many countries where they have massive sheep herds. And let me tell you, there's no more boring job in the world than watching sheep. You know, it's just, it's, it is the most boring job ever. And this is Moses' everyday life. is taking sheep out, trying to find a bit of grass for them to, you know, eat while they're in the desert. I mean, this is the most boring job ever. 
And so he's like, I've been abandoned, I've blown it, I've been, you know, completely rejected. And then, 40 years later, he sees a flicker, you know, off in the distance, which we know is God's presence, it's the, the burning bush, and he draws closer to it. And then he goes and he approaches it, and God tells him, I want you to go be delivered. Now, Moses is explaining to God the entire time, do you realize I'm disqualified? Do you understand I'm disqualified? I'm not your guy because I can't because I have all these issues that don't qualify me. Now, here's the thing. The kingdom of God is the upside-down kingdom. It's where everything works in reverse. So if you don't feel qualified, guess what that makes you? Qualified. God's like, you're the perfect person to use because everybody will know it's me (laughs) if I use you. It's the way it works in the kingdom of God. Lord, let me explain to you why you shouldn't pick me. Let me explain to you why. Let me just just go down the list. Lord, you really should listen to me. I know what I'm talking about. I'm trying to spare you embarrassment by using me. And God's like, yeah, that's why I want to use you. You know? And so you know the story. He leads the children of Israel out of the wilderness. And I mean, it's, it's an incredible, powerful story. And it's really a picture of what the kingdom of God looks like. And he ends up, now let me tell you something, Moses learned, and you look at this as a parallel with the life of David, Moses and David learned to rule a nation by watching sheep. They learned to rule and and lead nations by watching sheep. That is one of God's proving grounds and development places. It's, 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 and I'm not saying that it has to be exactly sheep, but it may be, you know, the ordinary or mundane of your job. You know, whatever. We're, we're learning to do something of a kingdom activity in doing that. That's where God trains people and, and raises people up, teaches them to rule and reign. And so uh, I, I love this. And Moses takes it. He brings the children out of Israel out. They go and they make a golden calf. And they decide, you know, listen, we want something we can see. We want something tangible. God, here God is manifesting. What, what did God manifest to lead the children of Israel through the desert. What were the two manifestations? The pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. That cloud and that pillar of fire. They followed that, and that's how they knew his presence is among us because they could see that pillar of fire. And yet, that is a powerful demonstration of Almighty God. And the people are like, yeah, we want something golden. And we want it made in an image of something you've created rather than you. Because there's no image of you. We don't want a golden fire tower. We want a golden calf. And so they end up making this golden calf. And God's heart's offended. Why? Because they've pursued the bling rather than him. They've said, we want what you provide rather than you yourself. Guys, let me tell you something. We've got to be careful of what we're in pursuit of. We got to make sure the bling could be our own healing. The bling could be financial provision. The bling could be the applause of men. It could be the, uh, the affirmation of family that we've never been able. All of a sudden, we start pursuing the bling and we stop pursuing him. We got to be careful that we don't get to that place. And all of a sudden, Moses, Moses is up. He's getting the Ten Commandments. He comes down and he finds this golden calf, and God's heart's offended. And this is the message God tells Moses, and this starts in verse 1 of Exodus 33. The Lord said to Moses, get going you and the people you 
brought up from the land of Egypt. Now, remember, this was not Moses' idea. Moses kept trying to explain, no, you shouldn't pick me. And God's like, you and the people you brought up from the land of Egypt. Go to the land that I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I told them I would give them a land to, to, to your descendants. And I will send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, and a bunch of otherites. Verse 3, go up to the land that it flows with milk and honey, but I will not travel among you because if I did, I'd kill every last one of you. Can you imagine getting that prophetic word? <laughs> God's like, I would love to hang out with you, but if I did, I'd kill you. So I'm going to spare you by not hanging out with you. I mean, just open your hands and receive that word. <laughs> Nobody's like, oh, Lord, speak to me. I want to hear that word when God's feeling that way, right? It's like, no, 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 no. I don't want that word. I don't want that word. This is bad, but what is happening? God's heart's hurt because they've been in pursuit of what he provides rather than him. They've been pursuing, as we've heard many times, his hand rather than his face. They've, they've pursued what they, they're looking for, the bling, rather than for him. And his heart's hurt. His heart's offended by this. And so now what happens next is really interesting because the children of Israel, upon hearing this message, how they respond is they respond in a reaction. And when somebody's hurt at you, somebody that you love, somebody that you care about, I mean, your response normally, if it's a perfect stranger and they come up and say, you know, I, was, I went in to see my father the other day at this nursing home, and this, this lady wheels up to me in a wheelchair, and she goes, you are rude, young man. And I was like, how so? She goes, I just don't like you. And I was like, okay. And I said, I, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. You don't have to like me. There's no requirement for you to like me. I said, but can I just tell you I love you? She goes, well, I don't love you. I was like, okay, bless you. I just walked away. Now, I could have sat there and gone, no, that's not right. And been totally consumed with trying to change her mind. But she's a perfect stranger. Now, if that's somebody I know, somebody I'm close to, that's not okay, right? I'm going to pursue them and try to win their heart back if I really care about them or if I care about the relationship. The children of Israel respond with an action that is something of fear. They're going, God, don't smite us. They, they, they put on sackcloth and ashes. They sit in the mouth of their tents, and they're basically saying, to quote Bruce Almighty, oh, mighty smiter, do not smite us. <laughs> you know what I mean? Their response is, you're, you're, you're going to smite us. Rather than appealing to his heart, they react in fear. And let me tell you something. That is what happens. That's how religion, what it builds in us is it builds in us this thing of fear and terror rather than this thing of being drawn to a heart and wooing a heart. So they respond like that. Now, here's the deal. We have two, there's two lenses that we can see God from. We can either see God with the lens of a kingdom of, of God, God's kingdom lens, or we can see him through the lens of the kingdom of darkness. We can see him through a, a dark kingdom lens. And that kingdom of darkness lens Looks like terror, fear. He's going to come and smite us. He's going to come and he's going he's to, you know, uh, attack us. And that fear. 
God's kingdom lens, it's a, it's a thing of beauty. For those who are in the first service, second service, we we're, we're seeing some people healed. And I, I shared this last time when we're in that room. Is it, and we're seeing people get healed. Isn't it beautiful? I mean, it's like I said before, it's like a rainbow appears over the stage. Dolphins go swimming in and out of the rainbow, you know? Butterflies go fluttering around. The, it's just beautiful. We are like, ah, oh, as we see people get healed. It's a thing of beauty. It's a thing. When you are experiencing God's presence like that, and you come in the room, if you're seeing through God's kingdom, Lynn, that's, you know what Satan sees when he walks in that same room? Carnage. It's a bloodbath. Why? His kingdom is being annihilated because people are experiencing the presence. People are experiencing healing. To us, if we're seeing through God's kingdom, Lynn, it's a thing of beauty. From Keaton, Satan's counterfeit kingdom, it's a thing of death and destruction. It's horror. There's blood all over the walls. There's body parts laying all over the place. Can I tell you a story to illustrate this from in my life? I was, um, I was at this church in Shreveport, Louisiana, and uh, our pastor had invited this little lady from Finland to come and to speak at our church. And, and I, you know, like I've, I was born in the mission field. I've been... I've traveled all over the world now, but at that time, I'd only been to a few places. But we had had international people in our home all the time, so I had lots of grace for people who didn't have the language well and all that. Like, I had tons of grace for that. But this lady gets up to preach, and she could, like, barely speak English, it seemed like. And she was from Christ for the Nations. They invite her over, and she gets up, and she goes, you know, I go to meeting, yeah. And she goes, and I get touched by spirit, yeah. And like every other word was yah, yah, you know, it's this little Finnish lady. And she starts, she starts getting into, uh, she talks about, kept talking about going to this meeting where this guy named Wimber is. And Wimber pray for us, yah, and we get drunk in the spirit, yah, and she goes, I get drunk in spirit, yah. And she starts talking about how she'd been depressed and that she'd, she was being freed from depression. And she's like, and I get drunk and I'm like, woo, and she's like, I'm sitting there thinking, like, Braden is like, she's one of those wacky jobs. You know what I mean? She's, like, crazy. Like, and I'm like, why did our pastor put this lady up? First of all, who could barely speak the language without having a translator. And then secondly, where there's all, I mean, she's talking about going out and getting hammered with her and her drinking buddy, Vimber. <laughs> you know, I don't get, why are we here? You know, I had never been drunk in my entire life. I was growing up at church. And I was like, why are we here? Why are we listening to this? And you have to understand, she, she gets up and she starts praying for people. She goes, I pray for people now, yeah? <laughs> and so people come up and I'm like, how did they even understand that? And they come, she starts praying for them and they start dropping. They start, as you say, falling out in the spirit. And I'm like, oh, she's one of those. Now, see, I had been in many atmospheres like that because I had grown up around that. But I had, I had concluded, I, had, I was like, man, this is all just a load. You know, this is like wrong. This is, you know, and people, I, my wife and I had had some of the best in the business try to get us to the ground. Nobody could ever do it. Nobody. And they have these various techniques that they try to get you to the ground with. Brody, would you come up here? Could you help me? Let me illustrate. Thank you for volunteering. And so, like, like if, bro, if I'm praying for Brody, you know, and I was approaching it, there's, there's a few of the techniques. By the way, this is what not to do. Don't ever do the, any of this, what I'm about to show you. This is just to illustrate what not to do. 
So all of a sudden they would come and they would go to pray for you. And like, you know, because if you look, close your eyes. Don't you love Jesus? How dare you <laughs> not close your eyes when I'm about to pray for you? And so as they do, now the first one is the head smack. And that's where, his eyes are still, most people open their eyes by this time. But this man trusts me. I so appreciate that. Don't trust me for the next five minutes. I just want to warn you of that right now. <laughs> I don't know what no, you're fine. So no, I'm not going to do that one. But they, where they, bam, you know, and you're like, ah! and of course you go backwards because you've been smacked on the head. Not touched by God, smacked on the head. <laughs> I'm not going to do that one. The other one is the head shove or what I prefer to call the neck break. Okay, and that's where they start shoving your head back like this. And like if you would receive, you would go back. And why aren't you receiving? And I'm trying to get you to receive as much as possible. But he's resisting. There must be some rebellion in here somewhere. The neck break. And it's just finally you're just going down because I don't want my neck to break. Right? And then there's this, these other, other ones that are like the, the hand shift. Now, I pray for people's hands all the time, but I don't do this. Go ahead and stick your hands up. So, and close your eyes because you love Jesus. You better close your eyes. So, they put their hands on your hands. Now, as they're doing this, they start gently sh pushing your hands back. And I'm pushing his hands back. He's resisting as he should. Resist. <laughs> He's so easy to receive. <laughs> and so, as he's pushing back like this, then all of a sudden... They start sliding their hands forward. Now, see how he comes forward? And at that point, they're just like, yes, take it. And just shove you back. Because you're off balance and you can't stop yourself. What not to do? And then the other move, which is just an intro. This is a new one on the scene. But it's the, it's the rock. I call it the lullaby. And it's where you just kind of come and just go, okay, come on, just receive, just receive. Just receive. Come on, just receive from if you would just receive. And you can almost imagine them sort of humming a lullaby. <laughs> you know, until they finally just shove you all the way down, okay? Great job, man. <laughs> what not to do. I played football. I played football. And so I always, whenever people would come to play, pray for me, I would always go into my football stance. I was a guard. I protected the quarterback. And so whenever, you know, somebody would come and pray, this leg, when I was on my football team in high school, had its own name. <laughs> they called it Big Bertha. <laughs> and whenever people would come to pray for me, because I had seen so much of this stuff, I would just throw back Big Bertha. I'd be like, you may get past this leg, but you're not getting past Big Bertha. <laughs> if your mother's name is Bertha, I'm sorry. It's not personal. But I would throw back Big Bertha, and I would be like, bring it on. You know what I mean? And nobody could get us down. My wife, me, nobody could. Well, all of a sudden, little Finnish lady starts praying for people, and they start dropping like flies. And I'm like, oh, she's one of those. And I was so I was trying, I was studying her, trying to figure out what's her technique, how's she getting people down, what method, what mode is she using, and I couldn't I couldn't quite figure out. After several minutes, my wife Angie looks at me and she goes, "I'm going to go up there for prayer," and I'm like, "What?" And I'm like, "She's one of those. Are you kidding me? 
And she goes, she goes, yeah. And I, I mean, I had just tried to tell her, I just tried to get her to leave. I was like, let's get out of here. She goes, you can't leave. You're the youth pastor. <laughs> and I was like, that's a technicality. Get your things. Let's get out of here. And she goes, no. She goes, besides, she goes, I'm going to go get that lady to pray for me. And I'm like, what? I mean, I was shocked that she said, and I'm like, why, why would you do that? She goes, because she goes, and I was like, oh no, this is perfect. You, you go up there and let her pray for you because nobody ever gets you down. Nobody ever gets me down. I said, you go up and she's going to try to get you down and she won't be able to, and it will tear the veil of deception <laughs> that is coming over this house right now. I said, yeah, go up there and let her pray for you. She goes, she goes, no. She goes, I feel something here. And I was like, I feel it too, and it's about this deep. <laughs> and she goes, no, I mean, I really feel something. I'm like, yeah, but go up there and let her pray for you, and, and, and you know, you'll expose this, you know, as the lie that it is. And she goes, well, that's not why I'm going up, but I am going up. So she goes up, and I'm like, yeah, 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 but go do that. So she goes up, and there's some sort of exchange between her and little Finnish lady. And all of a sudden, little Finnish lady goes to tell her, and I'm like, yes, this is so good, because she's not going to get her down. And she barely touches Angie on the head, and Angie starts going backwards. And I'm like, <laughs> You have to understand, that was tantamount to the Red Sea parting for me. I mean, it was that kind of miracle that somebody was able to get her to the ground. I was like, no way. And I'm like, <gasps> And I'm like, she must be using gas. <laughs> she had long sleeves. I'm like, there's a tube coming out. She's like, Shh. it's got to be gas. Angie gets up off the floor for after a few minutes, and she comes back. And I was like, well, what was her technique? And she goes, there isn't any. And I said, I knew it. There's gas. <laughs> and she goes, no, there's no technique. There's no gas. She goes, this is real, and you need it. I was like, how dare you? <laughs> and I said, you don't, she goes, no. She goes, this is real. She goes, you need it bad. And I was like, I am a pastor in this house. How dare you say I need that? And I was like, Lord, I am your humble servant. <laughs> I will go. And let little Finnish lady pray for me. And thus, tear the veil of deception that has come over this house. And expose her for what she really is. Here am I. Send me. I will go for you. So I... <laughs> So I walk up to the front, and she comes up to me, and she goes, you want prayer, yeah? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and I see her hand coming, and as her hand starts to come towards my head, I throw back Big Bertha. <laughs> I'm like, you're not ready for this. And as her hand is coming, I'm looking down her sleeve. <laughs> and I'm smelling. There's got to be gas in there somewhere. And I don't see anything, and her hand's coming. And she gets about this far from my head, and she goes, no. And I'm like, that's right, sweetheart. 
you know you can't get me down. And she just waves her hand in front of my eyes, and she goes, fodder, you do it. <laughs> and I'm like, fodder, you do it, as I start going backwards. <laughs> and I'm going back, and I'm like, Big Bertha, where are you? She, like, got raptured or something. And the rest was left behind, you know? And I'm going back, and I, like, literally, I shout out. And I, I throw my hands out like this to steady myself because I didn't close my I was like, I'm not closing my eyes for you. She's like, okay. And I'm like, you people aren't okay with that. So my eyes are open as I'm going back, and I'm like, no way. And I throw my hands up like this, and I froze at the word way. So I was like, no way. As I'm going back, the guy catching people, he's like, everybody in this whole room will go down to the ground, but Robbie and Angie will never go down. So he doesn't catch me until I'm 18 inches from the floor. The impact of this, hitting his back, split his pants from zipper to belt loop. was torn that night. <laughs> Just not the veil of deception. <laughs> and I'm laying on the ground like this, and I can't move. I can't move a finger. I can't move. Tears are streaming down my face, and I don't know why. I don't feel anything. I felt nothing. And I'm like, why am I crying? Why am I crying? Why? In my head, just loop, why am I crying? Why am I crying? I don't feel you. Why am I crying? Why am I crying? People were coming up and taking pictures of me. <laughs> now, this is before cameras and cell phones. They're coming up with disposable cameras going, <laughs> taking pictures, and I'm like, and I can't move. <laughs> All of a sudden, everything just goes black. Just everything goes dark. And I see... This dark valley and the bed of this floor of this ground. And there were like hills on the perimeter. And I see the sun sort of coming up over the hills. And as soon as the light hits the bed of the floor of this ground, all of a sudden it's filled with bones. And it's Ezekiel 37. It's the valley of dry bones. And I mean, guys, these bones are beyond dry. They're parched. To the point where I reached out to touch them and they just turned to powder under my hand. Just turned to powder. And I look, and I'm looking at this and the Lord spoke to me just like he did with Ezekiel. Now, whenever I've had a vision of something that happens from scripture, many times the passage just is not there in my head. It's not in my recall. And the Lord said, can these bones live? And man, I didn't even have the faith to answer as Ezekiel, which Ezekiel doesn't come with a lot of faith. He's like, I don't know, only you know. I said, no way. He said, can these bones live? And I'm like, no way, they're too far gone. And he said, prophesy to the bones. And I said, what do you prophesy to bones? He said, call them to come together. Call them to come and fill. Call the flesh to come on them. Call muscle to come. Call sinew. Call, call for the skin to come. 
And standing there, I'm seeing, as I do this, I see this valley filled with people. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And this massive valley of people that are there. And I'm looking, and this is, it's so powerful because I sat there as, as a pastor. I looked and I was like, this is my dream. To have a massive group of thousands and thousands and thousands of people. But yet, there was no life in them. Filled with people. But where's the life? Now, it's a little bit of the reverse of what you see in Ezekiel 37. Because then the Lord said, now prophesy to the wind to come. And we know the wind is a manifestation of the Spirit. You see, so many of us are pursuing butts in the seat. But we really need to pursue Spirit giving life and filling with life, too. It's a very, very important part of it. And so I called and I said, you know, wind come. And all of a sudden, the, this wind just starts whipping through. And you saw them move and begin to come to life. Now they were standing, they were there, they were present. They're just a bunch of bodies until the wind came through. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, that's what I want you to do. He said, but never forget, you are the driest pile of bones here. And I was like, yes, Lord, you're right, I was. I was. See, I was seeing everything that woman was doing as bad because I was looking through the counterfeit kingdom lens. I was seeing it through Satan's key. So everything I was seeing her doing was bad in my mind because I was seeing it through Satan's kingdom lens. All of a sudden, I come to. Everybody was gone. My wife's at the back of the church with our son in the stroller, just rocking him. I think the lady who cleaned the church was there vacuuming. And it was just, I'm laying on the floor and I get my feeling back and I look, the lights are out. Everybody's gone. And I get up off the floor and Angie was just waiting so patiently. She could sense God was doing something. She didn't want to interrupt what God was doing. And I got back and I walked back to her and I was like, and in my head, I was like, that's the weirdest thing that has ever happened to me in my entire life. And I went to say that to her. I went to say, that's the weirdest thing that's ever happened to me. But I looked at her, and she goes, are you okay? And I went, <laughs> And I could hear that it wasn't right. And she goes, what? And I went, <laughs> Now, let me explain. This wasn't tongues. I've been speaking in tongues since I was nine. And she goes, she said I was talking like a deaf person. And she's like, I don't understand you. And I'm like, I'm trying to tell her, quit yelling. I can hear you just fine. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, dear God, what's happened to me? And I'm looking at her and I go, and I ran to the bathroom. And so I go to the bathroom, and I'm standing at the sink in the bathroom, and I'm looking at the mirror, and I'm like, and I'm like, what is wrong with me? Why? I can think perfectly clear. And I go to and I'm like, finally, I'm like, I know. If I speak slower and more intentionally, 
And so I'm like, <laughs> nothing is coming. And then I'm like, no, if I go faster, I can beat it. You know, and I'm like, <laughs> nothing is coming. Finally, I'm crying. And I'm like, <laughs> I finally give up. And I go back to her and she goes, are you okay now? And I'm like, <laughs> And she goes, come on, let's just go home. I'm like, I feel perfectly fine. I don't understand what's happening. We start walking home. You see, hang on, let me finish this. We start walking home. The further we get, we just, it was just a couple of blocks. It would be the equivalent of a couple of blocks from the church. But we start walking home, and all of a sudden... You know, she's pushing the stroller, I'm walking aside, and all of a sudden, it's like the sidewalk starts moving. <laughs> and we're walking, and I'm like, <laughs> and she goes, what? And I'm like, <laughs> and she goes, I don't understand what you're saying, but would you quit walking funny? <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I was getting drunk. I'd never been drunk in my entire life. She says I started singing. I don't remember that part. But she's grabbing my belt, pushing the stroller, and I'm like, hey, hey, as we're trying to walk home. She walks me into the bed, our bed, and I'm standing there, I'm like, hey, 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 hey. and she just shoves me in, the, I mean, face down, and I go to sleep. I, how I breathe. She never helped. She didn't even take my shoes off. I was face down in that bed all night. How I breathed, I'll never know. I woke up the next morning, all my clothes on, my shoes on. I woke up the next morning, and I'm like, and I get in the lights coming through. And she's gone. And I get up and I go to the bathroom and I'm like, I'm ruined. Like, I'm ruined. And, I, and I, I kept thinking, man, I was mocking the Finnish lady who couldn't speak English. And God has smitten me dumb <laughs> for mocking the little Finnish lady. And so I go in the bathroom and I go to say, what was that? And what just happened? And it came out perfectly clear. And I was like, what was that? I could talk. And I was like, I started crying. I'm like, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J. I was so happy that I could understand what I was saying. And I came out and I looked at her and I was like, do you understand me? Please tell me you can understand what I'm saying. Please say it. She goes, yes, what was that? I was like, I don't know, but I'm never making fun of the finish ever again for as long as I live. I will never mock those people ever. <laughs> And she's like, she's like, we got to go to the grocery store. We got to get some groceries. And I was like, okay. And guys, when we walked outside the house, I had been saved since I was seven years old. And we walked outside the house, and I swear to you, the grass was greener. <laughs> the sky was bluer. I swear I saw birds with woven flowers in a circle, flying in a circle <laughs> over the top. I mean, it was like, I felt like I was in a Disney movie, you know? I was, I was blown away. 
And I mean, it was like, it was like the R-naughts from the Canada revival. They say it's like being born again, again. That's so true. And we go to the store, and this woman comes in the store. We go in, we're in the, you know, produce section. This woman comes in with this walker. And she looked like she was in horrific pain. I told Angie, I said, go ahead, you know, do whatever you got to do. I'm going to talk to this woman in a second. And she's like, okay, well, I got to go get some bread. And I was like, okay. So she goes, she walks away, and I go to this lady, and I said, ma'am, I said, I'm sorry. I said, are, are you okay? She goes, no, I'm not okay. And I said, are you in pain? She goes, baby, I got pain. You don't even understand. And I said, well, could, could I pray for you? And she goes, you can try, but it won't do any good. And I was like, well, I, I'd like to pray for you if you let me pray. And she goes, go ahead. If you want to waste a prayer, you go ahead. And I was like, okay. So I just put my hand on her shoulder, and I was facing her. And I just said, Lord, would you just, I didn't, know, I didn't even know how to pray. I was like, Lord, would you just come and touch this woman? You know, just show her you love her, show her something. I mean, she, she seemed bad. And as I'm praying, and I'm just praying just sort of a general prayer, but as I'm praying, all of a sudden she's going, hmm. And I'm like, what's that? I pray a little bit more, and she's like, hmm. And I said, are you okay? She goes, hmm. I said, ma'am, are you okay? She opened her eyes, and her eyes were crossed. And she looked at me, and bam, her head, face, planted right in my chest. And I grab her shoulders, and I'm like, you're supposed to go the other way. This is not the way. This is not the direction you go. <laughs> Don't you know the rules? And she's like limp. I mean limp. And I'm laying her down. I don't know where to go, but lay her face down in the tomato aisle. And I laid her face down on the ground in the grocery store. And I ran away. I ran Way. I was terrified. I didn't know what to do with her. And I ran and I found Angie. And Angie's looking at bread and I'm like. And she goes, what's wrong? I was like, nothing. I didn't do anything. And I'm like, we should go. She goes, well, we got to go. I was like, no, we need to go now. I was afraid the grocery store popo was coming after me. And I'm like, no, we need to go. We need to go right now. And she's like, okay, okay. And so we left. That's the end of the story. There's no happy ending. I never know what, what happened to that woman. I don't know if she's here. I know. All I know is she's face down, probably still in front of the tomatoes. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I did not know what to do with her. I had encountered something that was now on me. And now encountered something. For months after that, every time I would pray for somebody, boom, they would fall flat. I'm like, don't you people. <laughs> Haven't you seen the guys on TV? You go backwards. of the presence 
I had had a religious spirit. I thought it was a spirit of wisdom, a discernment of the finished lady. But I had a religious spirit that got expelled. Because it was something that was broken off, but it's all about that kingdom perspective. Take a look at this. The people go in terror. They, go, they respond in fear. Look how Moses responds, though. Moses responds differently. It says, one day, in verse 12, one day, Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me to take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You have told me I know you by name and I look favorably on you. If that is true, if that is true, if you look favorably on me, if that is true, then let me know your ways so that I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember, this nation is your people. Moses is saying, God, this was not my idea. This was your idea. I did not come along willingly. This was your plan, your idea. Don't put them off on me. They are yours. I'm just following through with what you did and what you said to do. Now, here's the thing. Again, the people are responding because they went after the bling. They went after the thing they thought was the stuff to go after. That gold was set aside to build the tabernacle. That was set aside to build a place that would house God's presence to be among his people. God is so, and I loved how Braden said it this morning, his, he's so desperate to be among his people. He's so desperate to be among us. He didn't want all the sacrifices. He didn't want the blood of all those animals. He makes it clear. I didn't want any of that. I wanted you. I wanted to be where you are. God is expressing his desire for his presence to be right in the middle of us and to be evident among us. This is a big statement that he's making. And yet the people took the stuff that would bring his presence, that would make allowance for his presence to be there. They took it and they made something that was in the image of something he's created rather than even him. Does this make sense? Well, listen to this. Verse 14, the Lord replied and said, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest and everything will be fine for you. This deal for many leaders is a good deal. Many leaders in the church today are going, oh, that's a good deal. I'll take it. That's a good deal. Come back to the people. Got good news. Got bad news. Good news is, God really likes me. Bad news is, he wants to kill all of you. So if you look after me, I'll take care of you. If you don't, bad news. There's a lot of leaders that are like, oh, that's a good deal. A true leader, that's, they're not satisfied with that. They're not satisfied. Notice what Moses comes back with. He said, if you don't personally go with us, if you don't personally go with us, 
See, a good leader looks out for the whole, not just themselves. Then don't make us leave this place. You realize this is a place of hardship. Now, you guys in Midland know pretty close of what this is like. (laughs) But I've been to this place right here, and it's hotter than it is here. I've been to this place, and it gets 118 degrees, okay? It's very uncomfortable, very painful. And Moses is saying, if you don't go, then I don't want to leave. I want to be wherever you're at. I don't care how difficult it is. I don't care how hard it is. If you're there, it's worth it. This is a place where there's not adequate food supply. This is a place where there's not adequate water provision. This is a place of great difficulty. This is a place of utter dependency on God. It's a miserable place. Moses had known the finest in all of Egypt. He grew up in the wealthiest, most powerful man's home in all of the world. And yet he says, I don't care about your bling. I want you. You are what matters, not that. And he goes on to say, how will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and on your people if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all the other people of the earth. Guys, this is such a powerful statement. Because what he's saying is, is that the resemblance, the family resemblance here is this. When I, I, my, my kids, I took my kids to a Dawkins family reunion. And we are there and we're with all the family and there my great-great-grandmother is, my great-great-granny, my great-granny, my great-granny, uh, my, excuse me, my granny and my uncles and many of them are pastors and, and some are business people, some are, you know, but these people have paid a real price. And, and my kids are sitting over there, my boys are sitting over there and they're pointing, they were young then, and they're pointing to some of these people, the matriarch of our family. I mean, this woman pastored a church when there were no pastors, when women weren't pastors, you know what I mean? And I mean, they're, 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 they're sitting and they're pointing and they're laughing. They're snickering. They're like, <laughs> they're pointing. Oh, man, I got mad. And I go over to my boys and I'm like, boys, stop that. Don't you know who these people are? Don't you know the price? They, don't you know what they've been through? Don't laugh at them. And my boys were like, dad, we're not laughing at them. And I'm like, then what are you laughing at? They're like, Dad, everybody here has the same nose. (laughs) They're like, Great Granny has it, Granny has it, Peepaw has it, every Uncle James has everybody here has the same nose. And I was like, Well, what does that tell you? And they were like, Oh, that's the family resemblance. They said, These are our people, this is where we belong. And I was like, That's right. You see, the family resemblance tells us where we belong. I was in a, in, a, in a church in Australia, in a group of churches, and one of the young men who was supposed to be planting a church, he gets frustrated with the, with the leader, and he's like, and they were pressing pre- planting churches. We got to plant more churches. We gotta, and one of the young leaders says, plant what? And it goes, just another church on the corner? Just another building with a cross on it? What are we planting? We have those all over Australia. 
What's the difference between us and them? And then the, 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 the director began to, the national director began to explain some things with it. And the young man goes, he goes, I'm sorry. He goes, he goes I want to know what makes us different. He goes, where are the signs and wonders? Where is the evidence of God's power among our churches that makes us different than everything else that's here? And the national leader looked at him and he rebukes him and he goes, we aren't going after one thing. We go after everything equally. And at lunch, I pulled the national director aside and I said, I don't think you understand that young man's question. And I told him that story about my boys and I said, he's asking, where's the family resemblance? If it's all just blended in, then what makes us distinct? What separates us? What makes us special or different? What, what sets us apart? And Moses says, your presence among us sets us apart. It gives us distinction. That evidence of that presence was in the miraculous. It was an atmosphere of the miraculous that they were seeing, moving and working. The Lord replied to Moses and said in verse 17, I will, it, I will indeed do as you have asked, for I look favorably on you, and I know you by name. Moses responded, then show me your glorious presence. This is that part, guys, where I was talking about this morning, where you're looking, imagine looking into a, a smelting furnace, where you're looking into that white hot metal, dripping so hot that, that steel is dripping, it's dripping, it's so white hot, and to get close to it is to die. And Moses is standing at the mouth of that, and he's like, I want right in there. I want to go right in there. That is dangerous. That will change everything you think you know about yourself. That will change the things you want. Everything gets flipped upside down when you walk in there. And yet Moses is seeing it. He's like, but that's where I want to be. Because that's where you are. The others are like, no, get away. They want to get as far away. That's what religion does. People will come in atmospheres where the Spirit of God's moving, and they'll go, oh, this is evil. Why? They're looking through Satan's kingdom lens. You could put this different group of people right there, and they could go in and go, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. You will never have everyone come into one page because people are viewing through different kingdom lenses. Don't be distracted by the lens they see. Always stay focused on being in pursuit. Moses doesn't come back and say, is everybody on board that we go in that white hot place where the dripping metal is? They would have said no because they're terrified of him. Does this make sense? Is this helpful? I love this. Then show me your glorious presence. The Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will call out my name Yahweh before you. For I will show mercy to anyone I choose. And I will show compassion to anyone I choose. But you may not look directly at my face. For no one may see me and live. As a kid growing up in church and I would hear my parents preach on this passage. I thought, man, that's harsh. Man, that's so harsh. Thank God we're in grace and that's not the case anymore. But you know that's not true. You see the face of God, you die. 
Every time I see his face, man, I die to my pride. I die to my lust. I die to my greed. I die to my selfish ambition. I die to my need to be somebody in front of people. I just die to it. Because to see him is to die to all those things. You just die to it. You can't, can't live there. It can't live it. You can't. It can't. The Lord continued, look, stand near me on this rock. And we know the rock represents Christ, right? Stand near me on the rock. And as my glorious presence passes by, I will hide you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and let you see me from, my, from behind, but my face will not be seen. Again, I was like, Lord, why? I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't like the back. I don't want somebody's back, right? There's certain parts of the world where I travel in where you can't turn your back on somebody. And so that you, if you do that, it's a, a huge disgrace. You sort of back away from them, but you don't just turn your back and, and walk away. And so the back always represents like something bad. You know what I mean? Anybody agree? No? Okay. It's just me. <laughs> I mean, I don't like the back. You know, and, and I would t- I was, my boys were starting to get to dating age, and I was having a conversation, and we were kind of as family time. I was like, guys, listen, you're, you're going to get married soon, and you're going to be, and I said, you, you show respect and appreciation for your wife. Let me just tell you right now, if you don't appreciate her, you don't, show, I said, when I don't show your mother the appreciation she deserves, when I don't, you know, honor for her for the hard work, and I take her for granted, I'm like, that night, when we go to bed, I get the back. I don't like the back. And I'm like, man, it's just like a big wall right there. The back is, and I always know it's going to be a cold night that night because I got the back. And my wife looks at me and she goes, I think you've misunderstood the back. And I'm like, excuse me? She goes, you've seen the back as a barrier. You've seen the back as something shutting you out. She said, maybe the back is an invitation for you to show appreciation again and pursue. Maybe the back is an invitation for you to pursue. And I'm like, that would have been good to know 25 years ago. (laughs) You mean when I get your back, it's kind of like saying, hey, pursue me? Like, pursue? Like, (laughs) she's like that's a game changer right there (laughs) you know what I mean yeah I prayed and I asked the Lord I said why the back and he says I want you familiar with my back because I always want you in pursuit me I want you in hot pursuit of me I want you to know my back and know it well so you're always coming after me and I was like wow now you guys okay am I boring you we can go to numbers (laughs) 
Remember, that pillar of fire, that cloud that they led them through. They could look out and say, God's presence is among us. There it is. The evidence of his presence right there. It's manifest among us. There's no guesswork. Hmm, I wonder where the Lord is today. Hmm, I wonder where. No, it was right there. It was evident. It was evident. And they would follow that. They would pursue that. And it would typically be like, you know, when you see pictures of it being like over the tabernacle. Because that was a place where he was dwelling. Again, he didn't want all the blood sacrifices. He didn't want all that. He wanted to be with you and I. Now, what was that tabernacle made of? Skins. The skin of animals. Why? God wants his presence in skin. He wants his presence in skin. He wanted that mobile tabernacle. He wanted that place of his presence. And let me tell you something. When they came to the promised land, and then when David is looking out, and he's in this fine palace, and he looks out, and he sees that tent of animal skins. He's like, that's not good enough. I live in this palace, and you live out there in that tent of skin? And he's like, I want to build you a house. You know, I believe you can disagree, and you have that right, but I got the mic, so I can kind of say what I think. You got to figure out if I'm right. <laughs> Here's the thing. I don't think God ever wanted that, that temple. I don't believe he did. He did not want his presence in fixed walls. He wants mobile tabernacles. And the evidence of that, I believe, is when they come into the promise, when you see them come in, and, and Solomon builds that temple, how does God's presence manifest in that temple? The cloud, not the pillar of fire. You never see that pillar of fire again until Acts chapter 2. God's presence in skin, mobile tabernacles. That's how God expects the community to encounter his presence. He wants mobile tabernacles, his presence once again in skin. In you, in me. I want to tell a story, but I'm over time by so much. Don't be satisfied with just the cloud. Be in hot pursuit of that white hot flame that came over them. It's just like Braden said. It came on their heads because he was now in pursuit of them. Be no mobile tabernacles. His plan for them to encounter him is Christ in you. It's the power in you. We hope you've enjoyed our podcast today. You can find out more about our ministry at RenewLifeChurch.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Also, our app is available for download so that you can stay up to date. Again, we are so glad you joined us. If you're in the Midland-Odessa area, we invite you to come be our guest at one of our services. Have a great day, and we hope to see you soon.